0: Hey guys, and welcome back to Stir the Pot. This is episode five, and this is our second episode that we recorded on a recent trip to Paris. Today I'm joined by Harry Eastwood, a food writer based in Paris, whose recent book, Carnival, is a love letter to all things cooking with meat, but it's also a really helpful guide to the moral and ethical dilemmas of eating meat in the 21st century. A little forewarning, uh, before we recorded this we did have a little bit of wine, so there may be a little bit more language than normal. It's a really fun chat and Harry is a wonderfully enthusiastic person and she clearly loves what she's writing about. I really hope you enjoy the podcast, Uh, if you do please leave us a review on iTunes, it really helps. And if you really like the episode, please tweet it out because it means we get to be uh, listened to by more people. I also just want to give a quick shout out to another podcast that I made an appearance on this week. It's a wonderful podcast called The Sewers of Paris that is similar to Stir, uh, Stir the Pot. Uh, it explores the entertainment that changed uh, your life as a game man. And for me, unsurprisingly, that is Bake Off. That is a really um, personal conversation with me. It's possibly one of the most personal interviews I've ever done. Um, I, I think it's really nice and I, ho- I hope you enjoy it. Uh, please give it a listen. Um, Matt Bohm, who, who runs the podcast, is a really, really good interviewer and I think um, his conversations are really, really interesting and insightful. So without further ado, please enjoy today's conversation with Harry Eastwood. Um, but I just need to say a massive thank you because you've just cooked me an incredible meal. When you said you're cooking for me, I thought we had a very quick meal. But we've basically had a three-course meal. We've had cheese, we've had dessert, we've had peach juice, which is very important, apparently. We've had lots of wine, so I apologise if I am um, not as good as normal. Although I'm, I'm far from drunk. Um, and it is 30 degrees today in Paris, so rosé is obligatory. I think so, yeah. I think so. But again, thank you very, very much for coming or coming. I'm in your place. So thank you for having me in your house. Well, thank and you thank you for, for coming on the podcast. Me.
1: Thank you. Um,
0: so we always start with the same question. So how did food become such a big part of your life?
1: Well, uh, I, I've been thinking about this. Um, honestly, it's always been a big part. And I think that um, I moved to France when I was four years old. And I suspect that's probably where it really came from, is that suddenly I was surrounded by people for whom food was a legitimate conversation. I mean, you know, you you go to school and people ask you, you know, ooh, what's your favourite thing to eat? And, you know, I mean, these are all children's questions, but I think that was probably the beginning. It was probably France. Um,
0: where were you living in France?
1: Um, so I, I, I grew up in the 7th, um, which is still quite... Well, we say bon bonjour, bon genre, but it's basically like slightly sort of, um, well, snooty, I suppose. Okay, so my, my French is okay, <laughs> but what does that mean? It I'm not even going to try and repeat it because it uh, my brain doesn't <laughs> take it in enough. No, it's sort of an expression that implies kind of sloan, I guess. Oh, uh, sure. It's old-fashioned French. I know what exactly what it, it means, yeah. And that's still actually what the 7th um, is like. Uh, but, um, yeah, I think, I think it was probably, it began then, um, and then... Also, I did have, as many, many food writers have, um, a very amazing relationship with my grandmother, who was an extremely good cook. And she was. Uh... That's the first time, I suppose, that I equated food with love. And I think that's a relationship that.
0: <laughs> I'm just. I'm only laughing because, literally, in the podcast I recorded last night with Dory, one of the things I say is that I think baking is an extension of love. And it's something I've said for years because, to me, food is an expression of caring for somebody you don't cook something for someone or bake something for someone without actually caring about them because otherwise you wouldn't bother
1: absolutely i mean frankly even putting out a bowl of peanuts you know with the right intention with the intention of giving of loving of it's a drink it's friday night it's you know all of that kind of comes through very much i think in um in all food but i guess that's where the seed was planted
0: what was the food of your childhood what sort of things were you eating when you were In France. In Paris. (laughs) Uh,
1: Well, I tested you a little bit earlier, Ed. I did. It was delicious. Cheeky. Um, Yeah, I mean, I couldn't get enough of snails. Um, I I think that when you're really young, you're unburdened Mm -hmm. by preconceptions and, you know, snails doesn't mean anything different than steak or, or pie or um, anything
0: else one of my friends ate um <laughs> worms from the floor so you know oh snails with garlic God water God. why not it <laughs> went good obviously wow. but <laughs> no I, I i think you're completely right and a the snails you served me were some of the best snails i've ever had in a long time not that i eat them every day but no. they were utterly delicious so um i'm not complaining at all um i think you're right though i do think that the unburdenedness of a child is very important i was saying to you before we started that my parents have always encouraged me to try things. And Mm. as a kid, Mm. especially as a kid, I was incredibly willing to try anything. Mm. And I think that's a really important thing. And if you have that as a kid, I think your food uh, style and just what you're happy to enjoy is very varied.
1: Absolutely. And basically, it means that the word no doesn't feature. So colours, every colour, every sound, every shape, like it's all up for grabs. Like You want to try everything. And I think that... um, I certainly still now travel to eat and, you know, not the weirder the better, but the, m- the more authentic the better. And if it is weird, then fine. You know, like, <laughs> give it a go. <laughs> the only thing I don't like is durian. Yeah. So there we go. That's I've great. never
0: had it. I will try it. If someone offers it to me, I will. I might have to not breathe as I'm doing it, but that's fine. Um, so if, if food was really important as a child, how did that turn into a career? Was that something you thought of doing when you were little or did you stumble upon it like I think a lot of food writers do?
1: The last time I really asked myself the question of what I... So I think words were much more important to me than food growing up. Sure. Um, Books were hugely important. I was living in the countryside in France and the only access that I had to Britishness um, was through... My parents and literature, and Annie Lennox and Phil, Phil Collins. I mean, basically, that, that, that's what I got. I can agree um, with you
0: on the Annie Lennox.
1: No <laughs> oh, come on! <laughs> so good. Um, but no, so as a result, like, I think I, just, I, I devoured books as a means of um, accessing my identity as a British person um, in a way that, again, I suppose, gave it weight. Sure. You know, the, 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 like food, it, it became more than the sum of its parts. Um, so words were much more important to me than, than anything else until I was probably, I guess I was at university, and then I started working in a delicatessen, and oh my God, <laughs> I discovered cheese in a way that is... <laughs> Well, I'm still recovering. Am I actually really? No, I don't really feel recovering from recovering. No, no, you never recover
0: from that cheese. No. So, were you studying in the UK or were you still in France at the time?
1: It was my first time back in Britain. So, I was 18 when I first integrated any kind of British uh, institution. Mm. I went to university in Scotland and, uh, yeah, I mean, basically, I was, first of all, I was horrified for the first three months because I was too French. I was way too French. <laughs> for any like for anybody to, to be able to manage and it's a real problem when you sound British in your voice, so people already have you figured out, and you are not that thing you are yeah. not the thing that you sound like
0: i to, to me when i was um, i mean i've known you for a little bit, but I think when I was doing some reading, I think you've had you've lived in different places you've and we'll talk about it a little bit but you've worked as a butcher for a while i mm, think mm contradiction kept coming up in some ways not in a bad way but the idea that you've written a book on meat as you know a woman to some people is unusual mm. and it doesn't surprise me that that exists in different parts of your life
1: it's really interesting that you're asking about that because actually i think the insider outsider border is probably the most important one of all my life um whether it's being on the inside or the and the outside of a culture. So, I was too French to be British, and then I was too British to be French. My whole life, I've been too—I've been neither one nor the other. And what it's meant is that um, is that I've always uh, really enjoyed learning about the other. Sure. Um, and certainly, as you say, the meat industry um, is just all men, pretty yeah. much. Um, It's always seen as
0: the blokey thing, you know. If you want to cook as a man, cook a steak, you know. Totally. Don't make cakes.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know if you saw this in my bio, but um, but I worked at Smithfield Market. I mean, there is no more masculine environment than that. Nope. It's. I think (laughs)
0: I've I've never um, I've never fully experienced it at its you know early hours when it's in its heat. I've seen footage of it, and it feels like almost like a battle, it's very aggressive, it's like taking a kitchen and increasing the testosterone level, which I didn't think you could do. Mm. And is one of the reasons I never worked in a professional kitchen, because it doesn't suit my personality, Mm. but the fact that you went and worked in Smithfield is, you know, it is an incredible feat for anybody, not just because it's a clash of what is expected, just because it's a hard job.
1: Well, the first time I rocked up, so I'm glad that this has sort of got a warning on that. <laughs> I'm about to. Expl- yeah, oh, Explicit. Explicit. <laughs> no, but the first time I went to Smithfield Market, I was 22, and I was with I used to assist a food stylist who's amazing called Jackie Malouf, who's since moved back to Sydney. And Jackie always wanted. She's like so often people who come from the outside are just amazing at really going and experiencing all of London. And she was here for at least 10 years, but one of her kind of bucket list things to do was to go to Smithfield Market. So she's like, hey Beastwood, would you like to go to Smithfield? I'm like, "Uh, yeah, where do I sign? Totally up for it. She knew I was obsessed with um, butchery and all things meat. So we turned up with her husband um, at like 2 a.m. or something. And literally just to go and have a look, like a mm. museum tour almost.
0: <laughs> I mean, is it's is it something I want to do, it looks. Do it! It's such a unique experience. It, it's
1: totally amazing. So she was also like, hey Beastwood, do you want to get a job? And I was like, um, well, yeah, I really do. And so we, we kind of, we went for like a greasy spoon at 2am and did a little journalistic finding out who sells what, who's like, anyway, we found out that John from somewhere or other, from Ali X, um is the guy to go to for you know we wanted to buy a a veal shin actually Mm. a whole one so we went down there and we bought the veal shin and yes it was good and um hey john can you give me a job and i was 22 and i was wearing at the time i remember this very clearly i was wearing like a what looked like a buttercup but sort of like a skirt, but like a sort of buttercup upside down. Yeah. Gold sandals and a tiara. Wow.
0: Mmm, <laughs> it says butcher
1: all over it. I just couldn't. I was just skipping through life. I was 22. I was absolutely... I adored my job as a food styling assistant. I couldn't get enough of washing up. Like, I just couldn't believe that I was so lucky to work in food. Sure. So I sort of skipped down the alleyway with Jax, and, um, and he literally looked at me. So the guy, John looked at me, and he's like, Are you fucking serious? And I said, yeah, I am. He said, okay, all right then. And he he flicked at a calendar behind him with a woman with her legs, well, I mean.
0: I think we can picture. Put
1: it this way. (laughs) (laughs) It was PG rated calendar. And he flicked at the date next week and he's like, right, come back. At 4am, if you're serious, mm-hmm. and I was like, right, and I put it in my diary, and I rocked up the next week at 4am, as stipulated. Still
0: in the buttercup dress, or...?
1: Oh, some version of it, yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> probably. I basically lived in, like, sort of golden... Sure. I mean, just, gold, I don't know, gold shoes. And <laughs> um, anyone who knows me from that era, is totally going, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. Wings at work, yes. <laughs> so, anyway, I, p- I pitched up, and that was the beginning of my internship at Smithfield, and I worked... Essentially, eleven p.m. to eight a.m. Surrounded by men um, wearing white hard helmet, yep. hat. Um, you have to, for hygiene's sake, you have to wear like a white overall, like a full body white overall, right? Uh, it actually, this one was like a lab coat.
0: Yes, 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 yes.
1: Um, chainmail glove, chainmail apron, and yeah, it was a sexy look, man. What can I say? <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, backpedalling a little bit, yeah. how did you get into food styling? Because that's how you got your start in food, right? Mm.
1: Well, um, it was through Simon Wheeler, who's a really brilliant photographer um, who's been working for years now, I think, um, in the industry. But he, um, he said to me, oh, yeah, Harry, if you're interested in food, you should totally come on, um, you know, on a shoot one day. And I saw my eyes were like on stalks. Mm. And it was a BBC Good Food shoot. With Mary Duggan who's an absolutely yeah, amazing, absolutely She amazing. lives in France now, right? She does. She does, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hello, sister. <laughs> um, and yeah, and then it started from there, and I basically started my career as an assistant slash uh, washer-upper for wow. four years. Yeah. On and off, just freelancing around the place. And, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't
0: think anybody can really, I guess, have a permanent assistant. Everyone shares assistants. They seem to go from job to job to job. Yeah. Because, you know doesn't pay very well, so.
1: It pays, I think I got 50 quid a week. So like five di- I know. Okay, it's changed
0: slightly <laughs> since then. She it's, says
1: 50 quid a week. It's still not a lot to assist, but it's still <laughs> it's slightly better than that. Yeah, my <laughs> first job, there was 50 quid a week. I remember it so well. It was basically like work experience. Wow. Um, but it's really important to assist different people as well, because you learn different things from different Yes, people. of course,
0: different yeah. styles, different techniques, different yeah. things. So from food styling, what was the next step?
1: So then, oh my God, I remember this so well. I was really reluctant to become a proper food stylist, as he like, as in, stop assisting. I, I was so comfortable assisting, um, and I loved the anonymity. I, I mean, my back had ears for four <laughs> years. You're washing up, and everybody's just talking about amazing things going on, and you know, some new technique or what would nowadays be like the dairy cow equivalent. You know, like sure. there's a sudden light bulb moment. So I was listening to all this stuff, and I wasn't even a part of the conversation. I was just making lunch and cleaning up everything. and um, So, yeah, and then I was pulled out of it, quite brutally, I felt, um, at the time, by uh, Channel 4 was scouting for a show.
0: (laughs) So hang on, you thought you were brutally pulled out of washing up to be put on a TV show? Yeah, pretty
1: much,
0: yeah. (laughs) At the time I was (laughs) horrified,
1: I was literally like, no, what are you talking about? Um, no, I really... I, I know it might sound disingenuous, but it, it, it isn't. Um, I My worst experience experiences with food styling were with TV people.
0: Really? Well, yeah. It's a very different style of working. I don't like styling for TV.
1: That's what I it's mean. It's not fun. And I don't like being asked, like, can you do me a favour? I'm like, no, just ask what you want. Don't push me. In. Like, it's sure. all... Television has so many layers of, it's so complex, there are so many people wanting things from you, and they don't tell you what you want, and I'm a straight shooter, like, I like people to ask me exactly what they want, and Mm. then I'm like, yeah, I'll do it, or not, but the choice is mine at that point, Um, I think that, yeah, so when TV came knocking, I was so jaded by anything television that I just was like, whoa, absolutely no way, just no, 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 and then when they said it was a diet show, I was like, you are... Kidding me! <laughs> I, I have goose fat in the fridge all year round. Wow. I'm not interested in. I don't want to do diet anything.
0: So that was cookie cell thin in 2007. Exactly. I guess. So yeah. how did that? How did that start? How did that come about? Because I mean, I remember watching it for definite. I very <laughs> have a very clear
1: uh,
0: memory of it. Um. I mean, again, it was, it, I, I worked with Butter. <laughs> it was never a show yeah. directed at me. Yeah. Um, but I was very aware of it. It was a primetime, big deal show. Mm. How did that come into your life? That, you know, how did that get started?
1: Well, for some reason, I think it was to do with a necklace I wore. I mean, basically like a massively bright, 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 shiny necklace, and I am absolutely Didn't obsessed wear with... wear big <laughs> necklaces
0: on the entire well, show? I, no,
1: but I, listen... That's I mean, just popped d- back
0: into my head. No, I'm,
1: I'm obsessed with big jewellery. Like, I love big jewellery. Saying I, now with
0: no jewellery on.
1: Well, I had to take off my big earrings, because your stupid <laughs> mic was getting in the way. <laughs> I never go outside without, like, some kind of <laughs> Um But, um, no, it was just someone at Channel 4 flashed on on a jewellery thing. I, I don't even know how it began really. Sure. But what, what I do know is that um, I was absolutely determined not to do it and then I got dumped and I thought, fuck it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know that feeling.
1: I was like, oh, fuck it. Mm-hmm. I've, I, I need a change of direction in my life. Um Diet show, why not? Sure. Um, I did put some conditions down which were a, a right pain in the neck. Really? <laughs> yeah, 27 and no experience. I was like, I don't want to use the word calories ever, not once.
0: I mean, I think that's good because calories is, A, not an attractive word, it's not a very delicious word, but also it opens you up to a whole other level of having to be so specific and so to the letter of diets, which takes any fun out of it to my mind.
1: Well, thank you. That's exactly, exactly what I thought. And um, and I also felt that um, it was important. This was pure instinct, but yeah. I felt that it was important to down boundaries from the get-go um so it's like right okay i don't have an agent i don't have anything really to give me any sort of uh what's the word protection i suppose yeah um but i'm going to make it a bit difficult so that you respect my my limits and yeah. i also didn't want to use and i think you of all people will understand this i didn't want to use any half fat ingredients I was like, Hmm. there are ways to make amazing things, like amazing baking things, because I was actually particularly baking on that show. Um, There are funny and clever and mischievous and imaginative ways of bypassing low-fat spreads.
0: But also, often low-fat spreads tend to have more issues. They break down when you whip them, or they're ingredients you're not quite sure you want to eat them. All this whole thing. So I'm with you. I think when you use real ingredients, it's always a better thing. And something that's been cooked up in a lab is not necessarily Mm going to work in the same way or taste the same way.
1: Definitely. And I think at the heart of it is something which even, what is it, like 10 years on or maybe more. No, 10. Yeah, 10. um, Is that I don't want to compromise. Mm. I don't think that you need to compromise ever in food, whether it's because you're going low fat or you're vegetarian or whatever it is. Like don't need to compromise, mm. it's totally, like there is a wealth of ingredients and ways of combining them that means that you never ever have to have second best, you just need to know where to get the recipe.
0: Yeah, I think you're completely right.
1: So that was really at the heart of it.
0: So did you get interviewed writing because of the show's book? Is that Was, was that your first experience of actual <laughs> writing for a cookbook?
1: Yeah, <laughs> the reason I'm laughing is because... One of the conditions, one of the pain in the ass conditions I put in, like, at age 27, I basically put a wish list down, like a Santa's wish list. And on it was, I want a book deal. <laughs> because I knew I wanted Shrewd. to write... I wanted to write books yeah, way, way, way more than be on the telly. Mm. Um, and I thought, well, this could be the way in. And I, it wasn't even that much. Of like I said, I was heartbroken. I was like, fuck it. Mm. But in the back of my mind, I just sort of thought, Okay, so at least put the infrastructure around you that means that you've got some kind of sure career path, you know, out of this. I think and that sounds smart to me. <laughs>
0: you've written how many books
1: now? Uh, four.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think I think that was a good way of starting. Then, so from that show, you then went to America to do the American version, and that, mm. if I'm right, you were the only one from the British version that went. Is that right? Yeah. 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 And that did that did that started a career for you in America because you've done mm. a lot of TV in America, right?
1: I've done three... I'm just trying to think, because it's so long now. Um, I think it's three shows. I've certainly done two primetime ones. Yeah. Actually, do you know what? It's four, because I've just filmed my second season of another one. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, so it's been good fun, that. And I love, love America. I mean, I just enjoy the enthusiasm, mm. the food culture. Oh, you know. I
0: think the enthusiasm is always interesting, because I think sometimes um a british mentality can be a little bit more guarded and often a little bit more dubious where i think americans have this unbounded mm. excitement and are always intrigued by something and i think that translates into their food so i can see how working in food there would be you know an attractive thing
1: it's joyful mm. is what it is mm. there's no apologies for, for joy you know you <laughs> In Britain, we're still very, yeah. no matter where you come from on the religious spectrum, yeah. there's still a very puritanical street that mm-hmm. runs through this country, which means that pleasure is sort of suspicious.
0: Well, you look at the wording used in so much food, oh, it's filthy, it's, you know, it's yeah. naughty. It's clean
1: or it's dirty. Oh, don't mean, get me started.
0: <laughs> clean eating's not a thing. <laughs> Yeah, after, we, after we've, we've had board. a few classes. <laughs> yeah, after the wine, after the cheese we've eaten. I'm now going to have a very clean peach juice. <laughs> so, you know, it's very healthy.
1: Um.
0: So how did, uh, after the first book, you then, was Red Velvet first or was Skinny? Red Velvet. Red Velvet was first. So yeah. how did you, I suppose because you did baking on the show, it was quite natural that you did baking as the first book. But that book was unusual for its time because it was baking healthier, And with vegetables. And it's almost ahead of its time. That's a book you would expect to come out now with Mm. the current obsession with health food and diets and all that sort of thing.
1: It's weird, isn't it? Mm. It's been 10 years since that book came out. It is still, by the way, the only vegetable cake book out there. There isn't another one. Interesting. Um... And Is I, that because
0: it was a good idea or a bad idea <laughs> It's because it's so much fucking work. <laughs>
1: I literally spent like a year doing yeah. nothing but I can imagine how hard that would be can testing. You, I mean, yeah. You know.
0: Yeah, because you can't just knock up a Victoria sponge and then call no. it something else. No. You know, you have to really get in there and
1: test, and test a like, lot. And the other thing, actually, is that now that it all sounds so normal to use vegetables, but at the time it was so weird, it was gross, actually, is yeah. what it was, that it had to I had to test them three times, and I had to test them another three times just to make sure, because I didn't want to be attacked on the recipes yes. because people hated the idea.
0: I think, in general, testing is very important, but if you're doing something that's unheard of or unusual and you're trying to convince someone of doing mm-hmm. something, testing is your... You know your safety net. You have to. Mm. It
1: has to be rubber covered. Basically. I've never like, heard that term. <laughs> it's a TV term. We we always use that in TV. It's like, is that locked down? Is that rubber covered? Sorry. <laughs> oh, I think it's in
0: rubber cupboard.
1: Covered. Like, what does
0: rubber cupboard mean? <laughs> That's a very strange, meaningless. Rubber covered mean makes more sense. That makes rubber more covered. sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> I have got earphones in, trying to hear this as we go along. That's my excuse anyway. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm always intrigued, and I think it's actually a really good thing, but for you, for better or worse, I think UK food in general is based in London. Mm-hmm. You we can't really get away from it. And food writing and food styling and food photography, all that sort of thing, it is really centred in London. But you don't live in London. You live mm. in Paris. Mm. How do you find the separation? Is it a good thing? Do you need that mm. for the way you work? Or
1: I uh it is not an unconscious decision for mm. me not to live in london um i'm too busy when i'm in london i i know too many people i want to see too many people i like um there are too many cool restaurants that have just opened that i want to try and what i find for me is that actually being abroad means that and it's only a 3 hour ride as you know because you're about to get on that train um <laughs>
0: Yeah, we need to hurry up. No, we need to hurry up. Do we? <laughs> I
1: no, no, we're fine, we're fine. Okay.
0: What time am I leaving? I can't remember. No, it's fine. <laughs> we're good, we're good, yeah.
1: Um, But yeah, basically, um, it is, it is in fact, you know, uh, I, I find it necessary to have the cut-off. Um, sure. And that's because, weirdly, as I get older, I realise that um, I'm much more of a an introvert mm. who is very good at extroverting once in a while and has great fun doing it. Yeah. But I need to come home and, like, replenish. Yeah. Just
0: My assumption out. was that it would be a easier place to work because you have less of the distractions. Not that Paris isn't full of distractions, but mm. getting away from kind of the industry. But also, I don't know, I, I, I just... It, it makes complete sense to me that you can... Just, if you could do it, because I don't think everybody could, leave the centre of where everything is made and still have a very successful career. So I think it's a really great move if you can do it and you know I'm, I'm not jealous at all. <laughs> I was
1: gonna say I leave for my winter vacation on the 15th of December my flat will be free. Fred, you are welcome. I do quite like uh,
0: <laughs> Paris and Christmas it's very nice. Um, I think that generally when I think about cookbooks I think that the best books aren't simply a collection of recipes mm. but offer something more and I think sometimes that's narrative Sometimes that comes through in a way a book teaches you. Mm. And I love that b- books that teach me something different, mm-hmm. whether that's a cuisine or a culture or even just a certain style of food. Um, and for me, I think even though your book presents an incredibly wide variety of styles of meat cooking, mm. um, one of the things I think is really interesting is it teaches you much more about the kind of morals and ethics of meat. Which is different because I think it's needed in a book that comes out in this day. But I also think you present it in a very uh, straightforward way that's easy to understand, but also still does it with a joy for the food. Mm-hmm. Because I think it would be very easy to say, you know, only eat beef, you know, uh, however many times, once a once week, a month. once a month. Mm-hmm. I knew it was once or something, mm-hmm. um, and make that feel stingy. But somehow, I think, because the recipes are so delicious, uh, everything I've tried so far, which is probably four or five dishes, um, there's still a joy about it. And I think that's a slightly more unusual thing. So,
1: Well, that's the only way that I can do it. Hmm. I mean, I'm basically vegetarian most of the time, if not three quarters. I mean, I don't want to put a number on it. Sure. It, you know, but, um, but I certainly, in my life, uh, eat meat every other day once a meal. Like, so it's... One meal out of seven, sure. let's call it. Um, and I love meat, and I want to eat meat all the time. Mm. But there's a very simple reason why I don't, um, and that is that good meat, and that's really the only kind of meat I'm interested in, sure. really good meat, um, is very expensive. Yeah. Um, and and it's irresponsible, frankly, to have it more than more than once in a while because it it, you know when you know as much as i do about the environmental implications to speak nothing of you know i mean we're even just talking just about the environmental implications Mm. when i say yeah we need to cut back definitely we need to cut back in a way that isn't just a meat-free monday Mm. it's basically a you know, meat a couple of times a week, three times a week, four times a week tops is a yeah. highlight in an otherwise very wonderful and varied and complete food agenda. Sure. But it, it does need to be a luxury product. It needs to be champagne. Yeah, it also
0: know? makes me feel very much, it reminds me very much of the way that I always feel that the French generally eats, which is, um, oh, I've, I've said this on the podcast before, but a little of something rather than a lot. You know, you choose something really good and you cherish it rather than eating loads of it but it's terrible quality. You know, it's cherishing the really good things and then, you know, praising it almost.
1: Absolutely. And when you're talking about joy earlier, the entire of my new book Carnival is about joy. Mm. And it's about joy because I really adore the meat meals that I have and I think about them mm. days ahead. You know, I'm I'm contemplating I contemplated our lunch for a couple <laughs> of you know for like a week I was like, ooh, so what would be the okay, so he's in Paris, what the, but that is the kind of reverence and yeah. the kind of respect that meat actually re- requires. I mean we need to think about it in that way. And and the funny thing about that is that it might feel like a that you're losing something because it's like, oh it's a big drag. Well, no, it's not. It's actually the most joyful way of eating. Is thinking it's mindful meat eating. It's yeah. thinking about what you're doing and it's appreciating it in a way that means that you don't let things slide. You don't. Sure. You don't. I never have. Certainly not in the last two years. Certainly not in the last few years of researching this book and understanding more about the subject, I never have a BLT on the go. Mm. Sorry. No. (laughs) That's a waste. There goes my one of my three amazing meat meals a week on a cold sandwich with, like, slightly congealed fat around. I mean, (laughs) no thanks. Petrol station sandwich of ham and cheese, no. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's just just baffling, you know.
0: I mean, one of the interesting things I, I found about you was that you actually used to be a vegetarian.
1: And for Mm -hmm. someone who has
0: just written a book on meat, (laughs) that seems, again, it seems like a contradiction. So uh, what was it that made you stop eating meat, and what was it that brought you back into it?
1: So they're both the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I care about animals. Sure. And it matters to me that 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 ham sandwich is part of the leg of a pig Mm -hmm. that lived and breathed and, you know, was once on this earth and under the blue sky. Um, so I stopped eating meat because I didn't want to eat animals. And then I started eating meat again because though I didn't want to eat animals, I really love the taste of it. Mm-hmm. And I get, even today, I get colossal. Sort of like, oh God, I'm dying for <gasps> I'm dying for bacon. I'm dying for a sausage roll. Oh mm. my God, I'm dying for roast chicken. You know, I get those those urges. Um, so they're both part and parcel of the same thing. But I was veggie for five years. You know, had an amazing actually even uh, then, which was in the nineties, had an amazing sort of palette of uh, food to eat. Nowadays, it's an absolute glut of mm. amazing vegetarian food. Um, but because I was brought up in the Middle East, I had access to all those sorts of ingredients as well, so it's not difficult to imagine you throw spices onto butternut squash, you, mm. you know, and suddenly you've got something completely amazing which involves no meat at all, and you're not ever compromising, it just feels like awesome food. Um, but yeah, no, I came back to it basically, frankly, because I was being deceitful with myself. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was coming down in the middle of the night, kind of, oh, no no meat for me, thanks, vegetarian. Um, and then two hours after dinner was finished, I was like, oh, okay, so everyone's gone to bed. And I would go, and I would snag that sausage in the fridge, or the, uh, like, whatever it was, you know, I couldn't live with that. Yeah, sure. I couldn't live with myself.
0: It wasn't the the cliched bacon sandwich then.
1: (laughs) Oh, bacon definitely had a (laughs) part. Yeah, it it always does. does. It It always does. does. It always does. So
0: the new book is uh, Carnival, Mm. which is, um, I'm sure you've described it as a book celebrating Mm. meat, Mm. and it is a really beautiful book on meat, and it covers, I mean, every chapter is a different meat, so it really does cover an entire range of food, and the styles are very varied. Um, But what was it about me as a subject that made you want to write this book? Because I know it's a book you've actually wanted to write for a very long time.
1: Um, I think I actually, I was resisting writing it. It had been in my mind, it's the Hmm. book that I wanted to write when I was in my 20s, early 20s, and I started out because it's honestly the book that made me want to write about food. Sure. So I've been thinking about this for a long time, and as a result, I was I put an enormous amount of pressure on myself. Um, so then I was sort of, I chickened out for a long time. I was like, well... And Doug, my publisher, who I love, um, and who I have a very honest and good relationship with, was like, okay, Harry, so when's the meat... Like, when are we going to talk about the meat book? Mm. And I was like, yeah, no, no, not right now, not yet. Um, and then eventually it was like, okay, actually... <laughs> I'm ready. Strap on a pair. <laughs> it's time. Okay. So I basically sat down to write this thing, and I had notes from 15 years back. That I was so it was a lot of research, a lot, a lot of research.
0: Is there a favorite from the book? Is there something in there that's very special, or has a, a close part in your heart?
1: I think the part of the book that um, I'm most a- attached to um, is what I've affectionately called the meat geeks. Yeah. <laughs> and they're basically little journalist pages that are dotted out through the recipes, and they explore subjects that are close to my heart and subjects also, from a practical point of view, that I've been... I mean, I've just been wanting someone to answer these questions mm. for 15 years, and God knows I have travelled to Australia, I've worked on, you know, cattle ranches in the outback, I've killed... Lamb, myself, Mm. worked in Smithfield, and no one was going to answer the questions, like nobody would give me a straight answer. So um, those are the pages that I love the most, and they're also the hardest ones, they were the hardest ones for me to write and research in the whole book writing process.
0: Mm. I mean, some of them, I remember in some of them, (laughs) you... Uh, you even said how hard some of the research was, and you had to quote <laughs>
1: yeah. the UN for <laughs> yeah. some of the
0: facts because it just didn't yeah. exist anywhere else.
1: Yeah, I basically I read, <laughs> I read about eighty books wow. to put this one together, including the hardest part was actually towards the end, which is often the way, mm. if right enough, um, where I read eighty pages of the United Nations Environmental Program, and it is the most dense, I mean, it's basically like bad cake. It's, yeah, it's too quite, It's tight. quite dry, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's super dry. Very crumbly. The crumb <laughs> is mega, mega tight. You're like, give me a glass of water. <laughs> and I just, and to, to extract like three paragraphs that could be used that were intelligible. Mm. Um, and that was really important to me to A, do the research properly and B, to have uh, language that everybody could understand because yes. I'm an expert. And there's a lot of stuff that I couldn't understand for years. Sure. So it was really, really key for me because that's the only way that anyone's ever going to listen is mm. if it's easy enough.
0: Completely. I think it is a very complex subject and it throws up a lot of uh, moral and ethical mm. issues. So I think having a book that puts it in very plain uh, language, it's not hard to understand. Um, and it doesn't, I think one of the things you've done well is you're, you're not uh, putting forth kind of rules. It doesn't feel like um, strict guidelines. It doesn't feel preachy. It just feels like it's coming from a really good place and it's almost pleading for you to do it in a better way because you will enjoy it more. Mm. You'll have better quality meat. And the whole you know gamut of things, it seems to come from the right place.
1: God, that's so nice of you to say it. And actually, that that is exactly why I'm so glad it took 15 years mm. for this book to come about because Carnival is the is the slow percolation of way too much information. I have too, too much information uh, in my head. And what ended up happening is that amongst these beautiful recipes that, as you say, come from all over the world because I'm a traveller and I I go everywhere to eat. So they come from Memphis, they come from my sister's home in Beijing, they come from France where I live, uh, you know... But amongst all of that, what was very important was that the message about the animals um, and the message about eating less meat of better quality um, was a joyful one. Yeah. It's it, If I'd written this 10 years ago, it would have been a soapbox rant about industrial farming. Mm. And, you know, I, I, I honestly believe that honey attracts more flies than vinegar and um, that the best way to approach this subject is to look at it from the the joyful side, which is really, really appreciate and honour the meat meals that you have, and that will automatically mean that you eat less meat and that you choose better quality and that you develop a relationship with your butcher and all the other things that the book is, is about.
0: Well, I definitely think you have achieved that, and I do think okay. it is a really um, beautiful book. And I think, I mean, I've, I've tried the ribs so far, I've had... The beer can chicken, the shoestring fries. Did you have
1: the sausage roll at the launch? Uh, yes. You I did. Think I, had I was worried about cooking that for you because oh, so I was like, hardly. the pastry. Oh my god, <laughs> large crust pastry.
0: It was delicious. It was all delicious. <laughs> um, so I do think you've done an incredible job with it, and I would uh, say the book is out now, available from all good retailers. It just came out. It, ju- it just came yeah. out to, uh, when we we're recording this. By yeah. the time this is out, it will have been out for a month. So um, do give it a look and. Um, do cut from it. It is uh, a really well worth your while book. Um, for our second segment, we can yes. relax a little bit more. We can take off the pressure. And this is. Uh... I've been
1: very stressful. Very. Stressed. <laughs> I mean, I'm very
0: difficult to have around. It's not easy. <laughs> so this is the shopping list, and mm. you can um, expand on your answers if you'd like. If you find it difficult, you can say my choices are rubbish. Uh, you can completely disagree with me. That's fine. Um, but it is just meant to be a very quick fire round.
1: Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm all set. I won't. I won't punk out. I won't fudge it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Beef or pork? Pork. Okay.
1: Yeah. Okay. Bacon. Okay. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, fair see enough. See what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Real barbecue or a Sunday roast with all the trimmings?
1: Oh, man! You are a bastard. That's Um, everyone has said that in these interviews.
0: I'm very worried about what people think of me. um,
1: I'm going to say real barbecue, actually. Yeah,
0: I'm with you there, Mm. Um, which is terrible because I'm a northerner, so I should say roast.
1: Well, shame on you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This might be easier, but you have written books on both topics. Oh God! Steak or salad? Oh steak. Good.
1: Sorry, once a month (laughs) with a good salad. What the the salad?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Paris or London?
1: Okay, you know you what? Can this say is this is the one reason. time this is the one time I am going to budget, and I'm just going to say, in in view of Brexit, I'm going to say Europe.
0: Good answer. I am completely, completely with you. <laughs> I'm I, I, I hardly think anyone listening to this podcast is surprised by that. Um, rose or white wine? Um, white
1: wine.
0: Oh, because we're drinking rosé. I know we are. <laughs> Although it is the right weather, it is the right weather for but it.
1: You know what? White wine, oysters, white wine, cheese. Mm-hmm. White, you know, yeah. Fair enough.
0: Mm. Um, sweet or savoury?
1: Um, I think I'm gonna say. Oh God, that's really <laughs> hard. Uh, oh God, uh, savoury. I think. Okay, okay.
0: And finally, cookbooks or TV?
1: Oh, cookbooks.
0: Good answer. I mean, I mean, I knew that was going to be the answer. Right? <laughs> um, so our final section is your chance to rant, okay. to complain, and to try and convince me to get rid of an ingredient or a trend that you can't stand. And if I agree with you, we'll pop it into the metaphorical recycling bin.
1: Well, this is easy. <laughs> <laughs> get ready. Get ready. Industrial farming has to stop. <laughs>
0: Fair enough, that is absolutely fair enough.
1: We, we have to have We could
0: stop eat. there and I would say, yep, fine, let's get rid no, of it, but we, let's we, expand. We
1: absolutely have to stop eating uh, industrially produced meat. It's completely ridiculous that we've got to a point um, where it's so normal. It, actually, do you know what I think? I think that it's a bit like cigarettes. I can't believe that we have let something so damaging be so normal mm. for so long. It is, I, I I think, in we'll look back at this in 20 years and we'll be like, yeah how did we used to allow smoking on planes and how did we allow such an awful amount of uh, industrial farming to enter into the food chain and become so normal and now on planes you know we don't smoke anymore but we still eat crap chicken Mm.
0: i (laughs) severely hope you're right because it is a disgusting thing and it's a not good for the environment it's not good for for animals. It's not good for not us. Good for it's us. not good for anybody, no. apart from people making money from it. And you know, arguably, that's not a good thing. So it,
1: exactly. And the only reason they're making money from this is because we are not asking yeah. the questions. And that's the thing about carnival. That's possibly my my most important thing about Your the whole tits. book. Is is basically, it is a book that will help you know what questions to ask the expert mm. so that you don't have to resort to you know food that you don't understand. <laughs>
0: sure I also think you you managed to clear up a lot of things that I hadn't even considered were Ooh, complex like, what? like the wording on packaging mm. of how you know uh, free range might not mean exactly what you think it does or you know and it's the same thing with like fair trade fair trade's great it's not as good as it could be mm. you know uh, there are wordings that are put on things to make you feel better mm. and to convince you that something is actually more virtuous than it might be so I, I do think, again, the book has done, even for me, has done a good job at helping to bring more awareness to things.
1: So, what are you going to change having read it?
0: Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> the, oh! Imperative <laughs> um, question. No, I think um, genuinely, I, I know I'm not uh, good enough at uh, knowing where my meat comes from. Um, mm. I am a supermarket shopper generally, um, and I need to pay more attention. I think a lot of people are mindless shoppers. Um, which is what supermarkets are designed for mm. to make you spend more money and to just pick things up mm. and I think uh, people definitely need to be way more aware about what they're buying and finding out if it is something that is actually coming from the right place and is doing a good job at actually not destroying the planet and you know not actually causing harm to an animal that's been bred properly mm. um, so I definitely, it's definitely made me more aware and will make me more aware of my choices in the future now I feel like I've been told off. No, No, not at no,
1: no, 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 I'm fascinated. I'm really fascinated because the book has been so new. It's only yeah. been... I mean, know, literally, out, like, we're recording it today
0: and it came out this week. No, it yeah. came out on Thursday last week, so yeah. four days, five four, days.
1: Yes, yeah, so it's brand, brand yeah. new. And um, I think uh, what what you've just said is is exactly what I was hoping hmm. in a way because... um. We didn't always have the tool. In fact, we didn't have the no, tool for very all. particular yeah. reasons that they didn't want us to know. Yeah. You know. But free range is great. Organic is great-ish. I mean, they're all ish, frankly. Of course, yeah. The only sure way of getting great meat is to have a face-to-face conversation with somebody who knows what they're talking about. Yeah. And, um, and that's what your butcher's for. Exactly. And there's a very interesting section at the back of the book all about, uh, what it was going to be a surprise list, like, oh, yeah, here are the great butchers in Britain, blah, blah. But I really
0: a... liked that section, oh, actually. Did you? Yeah, I thought it was really smart, because <laughs> putting together those lists is, is hard, but it's also they disappear all the time, so they become redundant yeah. almost instantly. So I will let you explain what it is, but I think it's a very, it was a smart thing, definitely. Well,
1: thank you. It came about because my really good friend, Pete, who helped me, basically, he's a butcher, and he's an amazing, amazing butcher um award-winning butcher. And he <laughs> Didn't really he win
0: 57 awards? 59. I'm 50, oh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Pete. <laughs> uh,
1: from the Great Taste Awards
0: this year. Yeah. I mean, and he won the best of the supreme best. The Champion. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you know, he's so he good. does okay. He's yeah. a legend. Um, and he cares enormously about the provenance of meat because that's what a good meat looks like. Sure. So first of all, from a taste point of view, there is no debate. Um, you know, you can taste the difference. But what he and I were talking about was just that um I said to him, look, Pete, you know, I've worked in butchers, I've worked at Smithfield, I know how scary it is, even for someone like me who's got all this knowledge, to go into a butcher in a queue of people and say, um, so I'd like a, a, a rib of a rib of beef please, and they're like, yeah, okay, and they grab something, and what you actually want to do is have a conversation mm. with them very quickly about what it is that that beef is, but what are the questions, how do you know? Aging matters, what the breed is, Like, what questions do you ask? So instead of a suppliers list I've basically put together with the help of Pete um, a sort of questionnaire a kind of match.com for your <laughs> butcher to know whether he or she is any good at it yeah. because at the first the first point is to find a good butcher otherwise you don't have access to good meat it's as simple as that it's like you know any kind of relationship you you need to know that what you're getting is is the best quality So we put together a list and at the back of the book, you will find the questions that will enable you to ascertain whether that person is worthy of your custom, whether you can trust them. And if and when that happens, you want to go in for a rack of lamb and they say, yeah, got a rack of lamb, but I'll tell you what's really good this Mm. week pork chops and you yeah go, no one okay, should know
0: better than your butcher about exactly. what he's selling
1: and like everything else it changes yeah and you might not know but that week it might be that they have an amazing noir de bigot, like some kind of incredible heritage breed pig say that again noir de <laughs> <laughs> my heart <laughs> and it's just you, it's, you can't pass it up and you've just no. got to go for that so well i would
0: completely agree i think without a doubt industrial farming can go into the recycling oh. bin, obviously. <laughs> um, so again, thank you so much for joining me. I think that was a wonderful conversation and a wonderful lunch. Um, if people want to follow you on social media, or do you do those things? I know you do
1: a little bit. A I little don't do bit. Facebook, but I am on Instagram at Harry Excellent. Okay. Um, and it was going to be Harry eats wood, but for obvious reasons, it <laughs> mm-hmm, didn't d- 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 go there.
0: No. no, no. no. <laughs> uh, and the book is out now, so uh, it is... I, uh, am I saying it right? It's just Carnival.
1: Carnival.
0: Okay, because yeah. it's spelt differently.
1: It's Carnival, yeah. as in C-A-R-N-E. Because I've been calling
0: it Carnival.
1: Carnival. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was
0: trying to show that it was different. Anyway, yeah. the book is out now, and I would, um, I would definitely recommend that everybody goes and have a look. And... Um, Yeah, follow the guides because they're very, very useful. Thank you. My pleasure. Merci
1: bien. (laughs) (laughs) Thank
0: you very much.